Hello and welcome to the Pentecostal Pen. Today we are going to have an interview with Dr. Eugene Wilson. Brother Wilson is the executive pastor of Pentecostals of Katy in Texas. And he has a doctorate of strategic leadership from Regent University, a master of arts in human relations from Liberty University, and he has a bachelor of arts in religious studies. He's also a an adjunct professor at Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology, has written several leadership books, and is a writer, a regular writer for the Pentecostal Life of the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, Dr. Wilson, for joining us today. Thank you, Brother Raymart. I'm uh, thrilled to be a part of this today. It's an honor. To start off with this interview, I would just like to ask you if you could tell us something about the story of your conversion and your calling. Sure. Hi. Uh, this is all I've ever known. I was um, born and raised in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad is a uh, first generation apostolic and um, his family came to the Lord when my dad was 14 years old. And within a year, he started uh, preaching and uh, met my mom at a Bible college in Tupelo, Mississippi, and uh, moved. Uh, my dad is born and raised in Georgia, moved to Indiana. On my mom's side, uh, my grandfather started the church that my dad is now the bishop of. And they're actually were celebrating the 75th uh, church anniversary here in uh, next uh, next week. And uh, so um, his father was also a minister who had helped uh, plant the church. So on my mom's side, I am a fourth generation apostolic minister and uh, been very blessed between my wife and I. My father-in-law was a editor for what was at the time Pentecostal Herald for many years and pastored for uh, many years in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, Simeon Young. And uh, between my wife and I, Last time we counted, we had 27 apostolic um, ministers, pastors in our family. Wow. And I know the number has gone up because my son is um, now a, a minister here in our church. And um, my nephew is also now at, at Urshan, um, feels his call to ministry. So we need to go back and count. I know that we uh, were probably close to 30, maybe a little over 30 now, counting all of our extended family. So very blessed. Wow, we have a blessed family. Thank you for sharing that story with us. We are going to discuss a lot of things for this whole interview about teamwork. What is the importance of having a team or working with a team in any given ministry in a local church? Well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is um, you get to share the workload. Um, ministry to a, a, a large extent involves um involves work um, there's a lot going on and and to be able to share that load is um <laughs> helps in, in, a, in a, a tremendously and uh along with that i also think that when you have a team you get um skill sets that you don't have and um so having those different skill sets makes a team a tremendous team that can do great things as opposed to you doing it by yourself. And I, I speak of both of those things. And as I'm saying those comments, I'm having flashbacks in my mind. Um, my father pastored what we would say is smaller size churches, anywhere from about 40 to about 80 to 100. When my wife and I 
We assisted my father, and then we left to go pastor in East Tennessee. We were involved in home missions. I, I remember we lived in the church for a couple of years. I, I kind of grew up around all of this. You know, my dad had been my pastor all my life. I cleaned the, the bathrooms and mopped the floors, mm-hmm. the carpets, and washed the windows and mow the yard. And I did the same thing when I was pastoring. But um, because there wasn't a large team, you know, I was doing all sorts of things. And then later we left from there and it was privileged to go to uh, Memphis, Tennessee and went on staff at a church average at the time around 500, 600 people and spent nine years there. And my staff, uh, when I arrived, I kind of did a transition for about a year and a half where I oversaw the youth while we launched a family's ministry. And my staff in the youth department was uh, 25 people. Mm-hmm. So I went from a home mission setting where, you know, we would fluctuate anywhere from my wife and I and our children up to about 50 people to go into a church that was quite larger with 25 people on our staff. And um, one particular lady who was just an administrative guru, I mean, she was, I'd never seen anything like it. And I was exposed to teams unlike anything I had ever been exposed to in my life with people who were highly skilled in areas that I was not skilled in. And uh, from that point on in my life, I have sought to develop teams and and have teams and do ministry as a team because I just see that it's such a, um, it shares that load, which makes ministry fun. And then I'm able to function in the areas that I'm skilled at where and allowed other people function the areas that they're skilled at. And again, it makes ministry fun. And I, not that we laugh and joke all the time, although we do have a lot of fun like that, but mm-hmm. uh, ministry to a large extent is fun when it's done as a team. I don't know if it's the same thing in the States, but I have been to many, I would say older churches and it seems like they, they have a tradition or like a belief that the pastor does everything or the leader does everything and could you tell us something about if teamwork or a team is actually biblical or just a tradition or something that is just done in the world? Yes, I, I'm so thankful that you uh, asked the question the way that you asked it and, and shared what you shared, because I, I am a firm believer that one of the hurdles that we have to overcome mm-hmm. is the mindset uh, that is a pastor centric model of church, you know, that is just a pastor. Um, I, I've been talking about this here the last year or so. It's interesting to me that when you look at a a metaphor for church leadership, we typically think of that of the shepherd, which we know, you know, the the reason for that. And then we also think of the role of a pastor as a spiritual father. But Paul in his writings, when he starts talking about the father, he actually starts in the context, he actually starts by saying that we're, we're mothers, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, okay, how often have I heard somebody talk about pastoral ministry from a mother standpoint, as opposed to the father, you know? And, and then there's like, there's the penman, uh, you know, that we write letters, we speak words, we affect people's lives. There is the clay pot metaphor that Paul introduces. There is uh, the builder, uh, the farmer. I mean, these are multiple metaphors, and those metaphors teach us things. And and especially uh, the one I just mentioned, 
um, where he where Paul talks about that he's writing to the church of Corinth that there is people who are separating themselves and are saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Caiaphas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. And he says, why are you dividing up the body of Christ? You know, this is not right. And then he takes it a step further. And, and if you read the context, it's really interesting because what Paul actually addresses is a, a focus away from a working for Christ, not that we're at work, not that we don't use for Christ, but it, the focus is a shift away from working for Christ. And the focus is placed on the fact that we are fellow workers and read the context. It's so interesting. And we are fellow workers. And when you look at it from a biblical standpoint, and we go back to Moses, uh, where that he was trying to do this, the load of ministry all by himself. Of course, he prays the prayer. God, let me die because of the load of ministry. Uh, Elijah is carrying the load of ministry by himself. He prays the prayer, God, let me die. And it's interesting in both of those different accounts there, and they live 900 years apart, a lot of similarities, mountaintop experiences, great miracles, withstanding evil kings. And yet both of them are caving under the pressure of ministry. God, let me die. And God's reply to them was, you know what? I'm going to take the spirit that's upon you. I'm going to place it upon uh, some others. And that was an expansion of a team. So Moses had 70, Elijah ended up with Elisha. And of course, both of these guys are on Mount Transfiguration talking to Jesus. And of course, we know what happened uh, with his death. There was an, a mighty expansion of the team. Jesus said, it's expedient uh, for you that I you know, go away. If I do not go away, the comforter will not come. And yet when the Holy Ghost came, there was an expansion of a team. And um, I think that's what, they were talking about um, on Mount Transfiguration. And uh, of course we have some hints there because they were talking about Jesus's death that was getting ready to take place. But I think it related back to the, so to speak, death that they had experienced. And I think that one of the the struggles that we have is that um, as leaders, we have to come to the point where we die and where it's not about us Instead, uh, there's an expansion of a team. And when we come to that place, I, I believe that God will empower people uh, with saying that it's interesting to me if there were one million people that Moses let out uh, of, of Egypt, which estimates, you know, I hear, I hear things from a million to, to three million, but if just one million, based on that ratio of one over a thousand, you know, men over a hundred and, and all. There were 130 uh, some thousand leaders within the camp based on those ratios. So here's Moses carrying all this load and God had already supplied the need, but Moses wasn't sharing ministry. And I'm a firm believer that even with a church starting of a a church of 20 people, Mm -hmm. develop leaders, develop leaders. And I could say it over and over again. And, I was a home missions pastor, came home on a Sunday afternoon. I was frustrated. I felt like I was carrying the load myself. I am pushing a lawnmower. I was taught you don't do things like that on Sunday, but I was so aggravated and frustrated. I was you know, working for myself in construction. I'm pushing a lawnmower on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm talking with the Lord, and I'm frustrated. And I said, I don't have to be here. I don't have to be doing this. I don't have to be putting up with this. I could be somewhere and be full time. All I want to do is train leaders. And the Lord spoke to me as sure as I'm sitting here. And he said, train them. And I said, God, 
like, yeah, we, we got like four or five people that I can train. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you will be faithful with a little, I will give you much. Wow. And I was in my early 30s. I had no idea at the time that I would go back to school, complete my master's, my doctorate, write books, travel, speak. And um, I, I'm blown away. And I know you're from the Philippines. And I, I said in the Philippines, teaching leadership here just about three, four weeks ago. And I was blown away as I'm sitting here with my understanding, the largest apostolic organization in the world, 1.2 million UPCI in the United States, I think is 750,000, or maybe that's North America, 750,000, 1.2 million in the Philippines in training, 240 of the top leaders. And um, I, I'm blown away by what the Lord has done. But I say that from the standpoint that whoever might be listening to this, regardless where you're at right now, uh, train leaders, put yourself in leaders, build a leadership team. Right. I don't care if you got 20 people, if you've got 10 people, put yourself into leaders. I'm telling you, it'll make a, a, a huge difference. As you were saying that, I was reminded of actually Brother Gleason's teaching somewhere. I, I heard that he said that the average number of people in a church in, in the States or in North America is actually 75 because that's the, uh, Average number of people that one person can handle? Yeah, well, it's actually dropped. Mm -hmm. um, the number has dropped uh, the last several years, and the median average number of people uh, in, in a church in America is now 60. Now, the average size is 186, and the median average, which is normally what we call average, is uh, 60 people. And, and you're right, be right the point here, but research shows that even before the time of Christ, there are writings that no one man can handle any more than 150 people. Mm -hmm. So we're somewhere between that, you know, 60 or say 75, 150. Um, if you look at the different types of leadership with organizational life cycles, you're looking at a guy who's an entrepreneur, which is where most of our churches are at. It all depends upon the, the head leader, his vision, his work, his, his, um, his zeal. Uh, it depends upon him. And then if you start building a somewhat of a team um, and have some people that can lead in some areas, um, you're, you're somewhere around that 150 barrier. And uh, the reason that becomes another barrier is because even when we start developing teams, many times every one of those leaders of those teams come back to that lead pastor to get um, permission to do whatever needs to be done. And so it, it comes a bottleneck once again, and you have to, again, expand the team and move beyond um, the immediate team where everybody's coming to you and you're kind of like the leader of the team. you got to develop leaders of leaders. I'm a firm believer, proponent, I write about it, I talk about it, that the underlying role or foundation purpose for the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher is for the equipping of the saints for their work of ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm an equipper. I, uh, as a pastor, I, I don't have to make all the decisions. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be an expert in everything. I'm not. Um, I'm an equipper. So from that standpoint, uh, it's all about team ministry. And even the Fightful Ministry shows that there's a need for team ministry. 
Why do you think people or leaders or pastors fail to build or work with a team? Can I be honest? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think that one of the issues is, um, is our ego. I hate saying it, but it hurts to say it, but I, I think our ego gets in the way. One, we feel like people rely upon us. They need us. And sadly, some of us, we get our validation in ministry because people need us. Mm -hmm. And if we go to share ministry, then they're looking somewhere else. They're not looking to us. And so I, I, I really do believe that our, our ego gets in the way. And, you know, some of that is just because we were never, some of us were never really validated in ministry. We're searching for that validation and we're getting that from people. And so I think ego is a big deal. I, I believe that the failure to understand the difference between being a team player and a team owner, mm -hmm. uh, I think that hurts us when it comes to building teams. And what I mean by that, you know, you can own a team uh, like a sports owner or you can be a team player. And there's a difference. You know, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to send the wrong message. Our pitcher in the lobby and our special parking spot and our celebration of all the different birthdays and anniversaries and the list goes on. That paints a picture that we are a team owner as opposed to a team member. Mm -hmm. And I say hesitant because I'm not against honoring. I'm not, I'm not against those things. I, I think there is a place for those things. I think there's a balance. I'm just saying that when it's all said and done, you know, people know whether or not we are team members or we are team players. And I think we have to be careful with, with that. Um, I, I think something else that also impacts our being able to work with others and build teams and just just to be able to continue to develop and be everything that we need to be is a failure to understand and appreciate differences in personalities, mm -hmm. um, you know, differences of worldviews. And I'm not talking about, when I say worldview, I'm not talking about things that's not biblical. I'm just saying that because of our experiences, we all see things different. You know, I, I, I read in my studies uh, in my master's program, that only 5% of the people in the world today have had any training uh, on listening. Mm -hmm. And yet listening is a huge part of communication. And only 5% have been trained on listening. And because of that, they say that there's an average between 23 and 25 different definitions for every word. And it's not like I say definitions, 23 to 25 different meanings and not like definitions in a dictionary, but 23 to 25 different meanings based upon what a person, um, you know, their worldview. And being a pastor or a leader within ministry, most people are looking to you and they're deferring to you. And you have to be extremely careful because what will happen is, is that if you oppose something in, in, and you don't have a strong personality standing against you, then the other person will shut down. And so you, you've got to be very careful with that. I think understanding, appreciating differences in giftings and callings 
is important. And not everyone's going to be like me. Not everyone's going to see things and appreciate ministries like I do that I gravitate to, you know, whereas they may be a totally different personality and gravitate to different ministry. And I have to be broad enough to appreciate those differences. So in choosing team members, what practical points should we consider? Um, number one, most important, I wish I had a trumpet and knew how to play one right now. Because I would, I would certainly pick it up and play it and try to get everyone's attention. Uh, number one, I believe this so strongly, choose character over competence. That's right. Um, definitely, definitely. And I see so many, I hate saying it, uh, people may violate that principle. And um, it never works. It never works. Uh, always choose character over competence. Um, number two is don't ever give someone a position with the hopes that they will grow into it. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you got someone who's got some character flaws or got some areas where that you just, you, you know, you're, you, you know, you see it, you're, you got a red flag, but you're thinking, well, I'll give them the position and, you know, the, they, they will become what they need to be. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, it never works. Um, I think uh, something else that has become extremely important to me, it's its near the top of my list, uh, was it for many years. I didn't really understand it. And um, through the years, I've come to understand it now. Uh, it's very important to me. And that is, I want to know, does the person who's going to become part my team that when I say this team now, I'm talking about like an inner core really working with a close knit team is I want to make sure that that person's values align with the values that we have as a team. Value alignment is so important to me now. And I, I can usually tell what a person's values are if I can watch their behavior uh, long enough. And, and both of those things, you know, I find in Paul's writings to uh, Timothy, you know, the church, I think, I believe it's Acts 19, Paul warns that there's going to come a time that there's going to be leaders that are going to be abusive and, and try to lead people astray. And five years later, that's happening. And he writes his letter to Timothy. And in it, he addresses these leadership qualifications. So he's, he's basically telling Timothy, this is how you handle the situation. And you got all these leaders who are doing the wrong thing, abusive. They're leading people astray. So, Timothy, this is what you do. And he doesn't say anything about go look for people who have great charisma or have great competence. Uh, he doesn't talk about systems and structure. And I think there's value in all those things. But what he deals with is a leader's character and uh, predominantly. So I think that. That aspect of the character and, and the person's values is so important. I'll give a quick example. Some years ago, I had um, I assumed the leadership position of church, and I began to work with um, team leaders. And I had one particular team leader repeatedly violated a value that I hold very dear. And that value is teamwork. It's a, it's a value that, that I hold very dearly. And this person wanted to act like a, um, like a silo, you know, the silo, my grandfather was a pastor and he was also a farmer 
and he had those silos that hold grain. This individual wanted to act like a silo. He didn't want to work together as a team. And um, it caused conflict. And I confronted the person. And uh, about two or three times before we finally, you know, were able to make the change. And the, the last time I confronted, I'm not a confrontational person. The last time I confronted, I said, um, you're going to get things right with this other person or um, I will remove you from leading the ministry that you lead. Or I'll bring you and the other person in this room and you guys can wash each other's feet. <laughs> and I said, because you're, you're not, you're violating the core values of what we're about. And that value to me is based in scripture. I, I feel it so strongly. And um, it's something I'm not willing to negotiate with. I, I think that when you go to choose team members, you need to find out those central values that are important to you. Do they act in ways that reveal that they have that value? Because if not, then there's going to be conflict. And that, that makes it very rough. I would say one other thing, very practical, is find out what a person's personality is. And when I say personality, I know some people are like, oh, that's not biblical. Well, you know, I can take you through scripture and, and show you that there were people who acted in different ways, who had different personalities. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were two totally different individuals who acted in different ways. So, I, you know, if you find out if a person's big picture, are they task oriented? Are they people oriented? Are they... You know, is a person detailed oriented or big picture? If you if you're trying to get somebody to help you with administration work, don't go after someone who's a big picture people person, because a big picture people oriented personality is not going to be somebody who's going to be a good administration or secretary work. It's going to drive them crazy. Find somebody who likes task and are detail oriented. I think one of the mistakes that sometimes happens in teams is that we find somebody, for an example, that are tremendous at teaching the Bible studies. And we say, oh, man, they're so great. We need to make them the Bible study coordinator. And then we put them in a place where they need to go to meetings and they need to organize other people teaching Bible studies and oversee it. And we take them completely out of their skill set and put them in a place where they're not skilled at all. And um, we make mistakes. So find out what their personality type is. We were talking about choosing or hiring team members or people, but let's talk about, you know, what, what if the team member fails to work harmoniously with the team? And is there an apostolic way that you would suggest to fire, if that's the term, or dismember that team member? As I remember, as you were asking the question, I remember a song that I liked to hear when I was a little kid. My dad was like Southern gospel. And there was a quartet that would sing a song, and their song was Let the Church Roll On. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, Let the Church Roll On, my Lord, let the church roll on. And uh, one of the lines was that the deacon in the church, he don't, I think they used the word, made up a word that he don't deke right. <laughs> what mm-hmm. shall we do? And, uh, and it's like, kick him out, let the church roll on. <laughs> let the church roll. Yeah, let the church roll on. You know, I, back to the core values. If you articulate what those values are, and, and I personally, I'm a proponent for four or five core values. If you articulate those values, they permeate 
the organization, and I use organization, church, ministry, if the people understand it, you talk about it, they get it, then what ends up happening is you don't have to police it. The people within the church and the ministry, they will call one another into alignment with those values. If you do have to deal with it, then you don't want to make you don't want to make it about you. Don't make well, I, I can't get along or I've got this issue, I've got that. It, it should not it should not center around you. Instead, you should orbit around the common purpose and the core values. Uh, I'm not a confronting person, but I will confront in a heartbeat if it's violating our core values and our common purpose because it's not about me. It's about us as a collective group aligning with what God has placed in our hearts and lives for the advancement of his kingdom. And so I'm not going to let anyone stand against that. I mean, I'll, I'll make this real quick. It's interesting to me. Peter tells Jesus, I don't want you to die. And Jesus rebukes him. You know, just a few days later, Jesus is praying the prayer, God, your father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But on that moment that, that Peter says, I don't want you to die. What would have appealed to the flesh of Jesus Christ? Jesus is like, Peter, you know, he doesn't even say Peter. He says, Satan, get thee behind me. He says, for you don't have your mind on the Father's purpose. you got your mind on, on yourself. And so he was calling him into alignment, not with himself, but rather the common purpose and the core values. And I think as leaders, we need to do the same thing. And if we do this, it, it takes the load off our back when we do have to confront and uh, we build into our culture the importance of these values and we understand them, we hire, we put people in leadership positions based on these values. And if we will do that, I'm telling you, it will take a lot of these other issues off the table. For a team leader or pastor or a ministry leader, how could a person keep his own team healthy or focused on a value or the purpose of the team? Ah, I love it. Besides the typical things, you know, we need to pray, we need to fast, we need to go to church, we need to have great church, all those things that we hear, uh, and, and I'm not diminishing them by any measure. I'm just saying that those are things that we all know, we all talk about. Beyond that, in keeping a team healthy, back to values, you know, talk values, preach values, live mm -hmm. values. Absolutely. Um, whether Bishop D.G. Hargrove, he's got some core key principles that God gave him personally 20-something years ago. He talks about them all the time. He preaches about them. He People can take one-liners from his messages, and they know them. They will quote them. Um, he's done this for years, and it's got a very um, healthy and, and growing church and ministry. So I, I believe in it full heartedly. Talk, preach, live it. Uh, with everything, I think something else for a healthy team is you need to stay balanced um, as a leader because you are impacting the lives of others. You're you're influencing them, uh, and, and you need you need to be balanced uh, personally. And I, I'll, I'll say this just in case there's somebody out here that needs to have uh, the confirmation of it, but you need to be balanced when it comes to your finances. Uh, you need to be balanced when it comes to your family. You need to be balanced when it comes to your health. And, you know, there, there's one that we, a lot of us don't want to hear. <laughs> but, but, you know, we need to be balanced in, in our rest. And I think, I hate saying it, but I drove into town 
several years ago, and I, I will get blasted if I got up and said this, <laughs> I said this but I drove into town into a general conference one year, and everyone was coming out of the auditorium, and the difference between the people coming out of the auditorium and the people who were just business people walking the street was unbelievable. And it wasn't our holiness as far as our dress and our suits and our ties, but it was uh, the fact that we are not the healthiest people around. And, um, you know, we need to stay balanced. And, and those things impacts our team. I, I think another thing in, in staying the balance is that there there is an aspect of of everything that we do as leaders that involves work, and involves doing and you know, you can't be a leader if, you, if you're not doing something. If, you, know, you lead. It's action. And if you go to the bookstore, most of the books you pick up are going to focus on doing. Very few books focus on becoming. And this is back to that character and these values. And But very few books focus on that. And yet it takes, it takes both elements. You know, I've often said that, you know, Jesus was going to eat and someone's probably going to fix him a meal. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with a Martha who's fixing a meal. But there was something wrong with Martha's attitude. And there was something wrong in the fact that, you know, there is a moment in time. Jesus says, well, Mary has chosen the best thing. And, you know, I, I think in staying balanced, there is the doing aspect. If we're not careful, we'll become a Martha as opposed to uh, being a Mary. I, I read here recently a pastoral counselor, Gallagher, I think is his name, said that all the years that he has dealt with pastors who have fallen in, into sin, he said, I've never, not one time have I ever dealt with a Mary. He said every single one of them have been Martha's. And I think this speaks of this this need for balance. You know, I think the rest uh, relaxation. You know, we, we live in a world now that it, we're connected 24 seven, our cell phones or text messages and emails, and we never get a break away from it. And I think we need to set aside uh, time and rest. I think our family, we, we need time with our family. My daughter last year in the spring was standing on the rim at in Arizona looking at the Grand Canyon. And, uh, she walked up to me and she was, um, 17 years old at the time she walked up and put her arm around me and hugged me and she says thank you daddy she said you know it's been five years since we've had a family vacation and i said what i said no no it hasn't and uh sure enough uh, everything that we had done had evolved around me preaching or ministering somewhere we'd grab a day or two here and there but we had not taken as our family just to get away without me preaching we had not taken a vacation in five years. Most of our family vacations, as my kids were growing up, evolved around ministry because we didn't have the finances to, to have a vacation. But here we were, you know, after all these years, and I made up my mind then that I, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And so we took off a few months later to Colorado for two weeks. And uh, this year we went to Colorado for two weeks. I don't make any apologies for it. I am a firm believer in it, and I need to add even more. I'm 53 years old now, and I need to add more weeks of vacation. Um, I, I work hard. I work long, and uh, I need to relax. And my need of saying that is because I have a nonprofit organization called Equipping Leaders that does coaching and consulting, and, and we're trying to get it going. And I've got a guy that has come on and uh, a very dear friend of mine, just the last several years, 
Kraft, who works for a fortune, um, uh, he's in the top 50 company in the world. Actually, it's, it's one of the largest companies in the world. And he's extremely busy. And uh, he's got a family. And his um, health, uh, I, I worry about him. He, he's a wonderful person, wonderful minister. And I see guys like him everywhere. And yet I cannot influence and lead them if I don't do the right thing myself. It's so important as, as leaders that we lead by example. And um, and we lead our teams to do the same thing. It's interesting that you mentioned about the uh, you know Martha and Mary, the work and the walk with God. And sometimes I think I believe too that there are a lot of probably leaders and ministers somewhere that you know they think that a time working for God is more important than a walk with God, and there should be balance between. Amen. It's been a few years back, but. I met a, uh, I had a pastor heard me speak this, at, a, at a conference and I made some statements along these lines and he called me up, he was passing through town and wanted to meet with me. And I'll never forget the moment as this pastor who, um, he, he's, he's older than I am. And, um, he sat across from me at the dinner table at a little restaurant with tears running down his face as he told me that, uh, he had lost both of his children. They both had left their relationship with Christ. We're not going to church. And he said, I came up in an environment and generation. He said, we're, that we were told that uh, everything was about the church and it had to be first. He said, I built a church. He said, but I lost my family. And uh, I'll never forget the moment. I, I, I don't believe that we have to do that. I don't believe I'm not saying that, that you don't put time into the church on that. I'm just saying that I don't think we have to do that. At this point, I've been very, very blessed. Both of my children are involved in ministry and are, are wonderful, and, and I'm very thankful for that, the mercies of the Lord. But um, I don't want to go down that road. I, I want to make sure that I have time with my family and I'm, I'm a balanced person. Absolutely. To close this interview and this episode today, could, could you please pray for our listeners or Absolutely. people who might be listening right now? Dear Lord, I thank you, God, for your presence that I have felt, even as been talking here the last 45, 50 minutes. God, I praise you, give you the glory, the honor. Thank you, God, for your kingdom that is spread around this this world and the difference that you're making in the lives and hearts of, of people. God, I pray right now for those that are listening, God, that any part of what I've had to say, God, that may be challenging, that they seem to want to resist, God, that they would take time and they would reflect on it, God, and allow you to speak to them. And God, any individual that may feel convicted and say, well, God, I, I, I want to change, but I don't know how. To, I don't know how. I pray, God, that you would lead them to the resources and lead them on that path. God, I remember so clearly, as I've already stated, that moment that you spoke to me You said that if I would just be faithful with the little thing, that you would give much. God, I know that there are people that are listening that feel that same way right now. They feel like what they have is so little, the dream, the vision, the calling you place in their life. And it looks to them as though it's such a, a small thing right now. But God, I pray that you give them the revelation. If they'll be faithful with that little thing, be faithful with it day in and day out. God, you will take it. And you will expand it in such a way that it'll blow their mind. And I give you the praise and glory for that right now. And I thank you for our host. 
Raymark, God, I pray for special blessings upon him and his ministry and all that he's going to do for you. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilson, for joining us today. Thank you, sir.